Hi guys, it's Joanne. I realized that at the end of Leanne Morgan's amazing episode, I promised an episode with Brianne Davis today, but when I went back to edit it, it seemed more like a bonus episode than a main episode to me. So that will be coming out this Thursday, so you'll get an extra bonus this week. You are not going to be disappointed, though. This interview with Lee Taylor, well, I laughed so hard that my my nose runs when I laugh. My Kleenex was completely soggy by the end of our talk. So you guys are going to love her. Enjoy this episode. You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my guests and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I am your host. And today I have with me Lee Taylor. It's so much fun. She was actually recommended by Mary Turner Thompson. I know you guys remember Mary. We did a couple of episodes with her, and I will link to her episodes in the show notes. Lee is an author and professional storyteller. Through her work, she has stopped double-decker buses on the Royal Mile Edinburgh, chained herself to railings, dressed up as one of Mary Queen of Scots courtiers. And by the way, she says, try driving in a hoop dress. It's a hoot. (laughs) She's ridden trams in Canada. Dressed as a suffragette, toffee hammer at the ready, and she's woven her own willow dogs for performances she's written. She's also trained Scottish ministers to tell fairy tales. As an author, life is just as bonkers, only the scenarios are played out on the page. Lee, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Oh, well, thank (laughs) you so much. Fill in the blanks. What did I miss about who you are and what you do? I'm an author, storyteller, podcaster. I'm a painter sometimes. I'm a weaver of willows, but mostly I'm a storyteller and an author and creative writing coach and general dog's body, apart from that in the house, you know, doing domestic goddess stuff as everybody does, (laughs) you know, trying to keep all the balls in the air or not, as the case may be. I I drop quite a few plates as I go along, but that's me. (laughs) Excellent. Tell me a little bit more about your podcast. I actually did not realize that you had a podcast. Yes, I was invited to do a podcast for Midlothian, Made in Midlothian, it's called. I like stuff that's a bit off the wall and a little bit bonkers. (laughs) So um, I went off grabbing hold of academics and storytellers and anybody else that I could talk to, really. It was just before lockdown. And so my podcast covers things like um, the Scottish witches, um, were they really zooming around on broomsticks and how it all came to be. So we find out about the Scottish Enlightenment and some of the characters and whether they really were witches or whether they were just forced into saying they were witches, um, which is usually the case. The Battle of Roslyn Glen, which is the battle against the English versus the Scots. The English would come up in their hordes. There are about 60,000 of them came up in different tranches and tried to take over Scotland. And there were only... 4,000 Scots, if I remember rightly, and the Scots won. Yahoo! Sorry. Wow! (laughs) No, I was talking to a historian all about that, which is great because he's a storyteller as well. But yeah, I did six podcasts all told. One of the things that I wish I had done more of is pay better attention in history as a kid. I always said, you know, I think I'm going to need to read my kids' history books when they go up through, but then, you know, now they don't necessarily have textbooks. So I... (laughs) I was having this conversation with my husband the other day because when I did history at school, I hated it. It was Mm -hmm. because it came across on the page. You just had dates and names, you know, like 
the kings so and the queens, and, and but it didn't do anything for me. And then when I went to university, I studied Scottish ethnology, which is all about the oral history of people. And when you have it, it's almost like tittle-tattle, those little juicy bits of gossip. When you have it presented to you in that manner, it comes alive. And you really do get to see how it affected the person from their layman's perspective, from the person who doesn't usually get talked about. In history, it's always talked in lofty terms about, oh, general so-and-so did this and that. It, and they don't mention how the, the layman, how it affected him and the impact it had on them. And, and usually they're the ones that are doing all the hoof work in the first place. That's right. And those are the people we can relate to, most of us. Right? Absolutely. Yes. So when, it, when you take it down to that level, it becomes incredibly interesting. And that's when you really yeah. want to get down and grovel in the dirt, so to speak. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> okay, let's get to know you a little better with some rapid fire questions. Have you ever met a celebrity? Yes, I have. And this celebrity just recently passed away. It was Prince mm. Philip, actually. Oh. It was a really big day in our family because it was a day when we were officially adopting our little boy. So we had to go to court mm. and see the sheriff and he passed all of that. And then in the afternoon, my husband was becoming, I can't think of the proper word for it, but he was becoming professorized. My husband's a rocket scientist. He's an astronomer or a theoretical cosmologist. And he had been put forward to become a professor and he was being inaugurated, for want of a better expression. Well, we all rocked up, uh, having just got off the plane from being on holiday. So we went straight to the county court and then straight after that, we went next door for his inauguration. It was almost a difficult place to find. It, it was almost like going to Hogwarts, really, if that <laughs> anything. What my husband didn't realise, because he is a professor and he, he is like 80,000 miles and rising, he doesn't live on the planet really. Um, he hadn't looked at his invite properly and it was really just for him to go, oh dear. Not, not for him and his wife and our child that was two at the time. So <laughs> he, was, he was still in nappies. Um, so I'd gone in. There were lots of people there and I was sitting on the steps near the main hall. So there were all these people milling around, you know, quaffing their, their hors d'oeuvres and, and drinking the champagne <laughs> and bits and pieces. And I was sitting quietly on the steps. And my son had sort of gone over to one side of the steps. And all of a sudden, these heavy duty men came thundering down, you know, with wow. the, the headphones on and the dark glasses. <laughs> and you know, I had my son on reins at the time just to make sure that I didn't lose him. I wasn't quite sure what to do. So I just sat there and refused to move. I thought they can all go around me. I've got a two-year-old child. I'm doing the protecting my child mother thing, you know, like mother, mother bear. And they sort of muttered a bit and, and they all started to go around me and some of them stepped over me. And then I looked up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> As I looked up, I looked straight into, I hope this isn't tea time reading or anything. Almost like straight into the crotch of Prince Philip. <laughs> it was stepping over me. It's a good thing you couldn't see up his pant like that would have been embarrassing. <laughs> so it was sort of like, I don't think there are many people that can actually say that they've kind of met Prince Philip, but met Come him at face that to level. Crotch with Prince yeah. <laughs> so that's my claim to fame. That's my celebrity story. I love it. <laughs> Were you able to exchange words or were you speechless? I was speechless. I was absolutely gobsmacked. I, like I went to open my mouth, but nothing, it, it wouldn't work. I couldn't put it into gear. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I love it. Okay. If you could have a celebrity as your best friend, who would you pick? Oh, Victoria Wood. 
every time, Victoria Wood. I don't know if you know Victoria Wood. I don't. She's a much loved celebrity comedian. Unfortunately, she passed a couple of years ago. Mm. She, she died of breast cancer. But she was such a mischievous, spirited woman who wrote beautifully, a fantastic comet, but also wrote plays and lots of things on British TV that just used to have me falling about in stitches. I love comedy. I think I would definitely have to pick a comedian too. She's delightfully wicked, but not mean. And Mm -hmm. she's not political. (laughs) I think every woman that would watch her would get her. She's also a musician as well. So she she used to write her own songs. And I think one of my favorite songs that she did was um, Let's Do It. And so she's playing, it's like concert hall, so to speak. And there's a line that goes, beat me on the bottom with a woman's weekly. And that, (laughs) which is... (laughs) Which is brilliant because basically the story in that is she's professing to be a 50 plus or a middle-aged woman that's suddenly taken over with a a moment of passion and she's trying to encourage her husband to sort of go for it. And, you know, he's just sitting there totally impassive, not, not sort of really being interested. So she's getting more and more excitable as she's, as she's playing this thing. It's hysterical, absolutely hysterical. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll try to find a YouTube video of that to link in the show notes. That's- oh, you'll find it. You will. She definitely sounds like my cup of tea. You'll definitely thank me for it. Honestly, she's yeah, brilliant. Awesome. Okay. What is the worst job you ever had? Uh, oh God, there's quite a few. <laughs> Um, I think probably the worst job I had was um, I got a I got a job to dress up as a British Rail sandwich um, for British Rail um, in on the London Underground. Um, that's quite a, back in my twenties. Which, if you can imagine, a British Rail sandwich, we always quarter our sandwiches. Mm-hmm. So you know you're standing there, sort of dressed in a big triangle, which is <laughs> fine. You know, with your head you're really sort of wide up. at the bottom. You're really wide at the bottom, but it's so wide you can't get into a toilet. So oh, no. that's the worst. That's the worst thing. I don't need to tell you where it ended up. No t- uh, okay, what's the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? Oh, right. Yes, uh, this one. I I had a spell in South America, so I ended up living in South America, and that's another story. It all came about quite by accident. But anyway, I ended up in South America, and I was invited to go out to what I thought was was to watch hand gliding. Um, And at the time, I didn't speak Spanish. Nobody spoke English that I'd gone with, but I didn't speak Spanish. Anyway, I end up in this hand glider, (gasps) flying off the dunes, not really understanding what, what the person's saying. Because I'm always game for a laugh. Wait, I need instructions in English. <laughs> Does he mean go left or push? Terrifying. You know, I can still remember his face as I, I zoomed past and he's going, Halle, Halle, Baja, Baja. You must what? I'm so glad you survived. Yeah. It kind of landed very heavily into a sand dune, I must admit. That was a pretty hairy moment. If you thought you were going to be in the audience and you ended up in the stunt. I know. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, what's your silliest memory with your best friend? Oh, God. One of my best friends, she was sort of my best friend at university. And we always used to get up to all kinds of madness anyway. And she actually lives in the States. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And she had come over just for a holiday to come and see parents and obviously stopped by. And we went out and got 
righteously drunk, very drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Even to the extent we're almost inviting the taxi driver. This was my husband as well, almost inviting the taxi driver in afterwards when we got home, sort of saying, (laughs) oh, we're going to carry on drinking. Do you want to join us? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So anyway, the next day, obviously, we overslept. Mm-hmm. and woke up really late and she had a flight to catch back mm. home at the time and <laughs> there was this mad rush to the airport while she was sort of getting dressed and trying to fling everything into the suitcase I was sort of rushing back trying to make tea and sandwiches goodness knows why I was trying to make sandwiches but <laughs> I'd, I'd kind of gone into that mode anyway we we headed off in the car hightailed it off to the airport and got there just in time and I'm at the boarding gate, sort of giving a big hugs goodbye and stuff like that. And somehow we managed to exchange handbags. Oh, no. <laughs> Got into the car and I'm driving home. And I look down and I think, oh, that doesn't look like my handbag. <gasps> and it's like, oh, God, holy crap, that's not my handbag. <laughs> so I had to sort of like do a U-turn and go back to the airport. And the plane hadn't even taxied. So I had to stop that and then get someone to bring the bag back and do the bag exchange. And then when she got home, she kept sending me all these postcards, you know, with drawings of handbags on it afterwards. So oh, That's so cute. I'm glad you were able to get it back before she took off. Oh, my gosh. Well, I wouldn't have been able to get into my house. That was a close one. Yes, definitely. Yes. <laughs> Well, as you know, the point of this podcast is to share our crazy moments so the listeners don't feel so alone in theirs, and also to demonstrate how quickly bonds can be made when we share these moments. So what do you have for us today? What other not-so-fancy, funny moments do you have for us? You've already given us a lot. Oh, crumbs. Where do I start? (laughs) Well, there's one when um, I was on holiday. In fact, my husband had been invited over, and this is me sort of name-dropping there, He'd been invited over to the Jet Propulsion Laboratories in NASA um, to do some work with them. So we'd been put up in a top hotel in Pasadena, having a fabulous time. And I'd hired a car because I've got a friend in San Diego. And I decided that I would take my son, who was probably about six or seven at the time, and I would drive to San Diego, thinking that's not that far from L.A., so anyway, I drive up, see my friend who I hadn't seen for about 20 years. And it was really fantastic seeing mm. that we had a lovely day, you know, went out for a meal. We walked around San Diego, went to the beach. And I specifically said to her, I want to leave not too late because I don't particularly want to be driving home in the dark. And she said, yeah, yeah, fine. So when I left, I pressed home on the sat-nav. Oh, no. Thinking, that'll take me to Pasadena. And I seemed to be driving for hours. Hours. <laughs> and we kept going. And, and I ended up in <laughs> Palm Springs. And, oh, no. <laughs> and what was more, I was nearly running out of petrol. So, you know, I got to this petrol station and because the car was different to the usual cars that we have in the UK, mm-hmm. I couldn't find where to open the petrol, you uh-huh. know, how to, how to get the petrol pump open. And the guy in the petrol station was, I think he was Polish or something. Cameron was asleep in the back of the car with Yoda, this this sort of cuddly Yoda that he had it, it, with this sort of strange expression on his face. And the, the guy in the, the guy in the petrol station was watching me running around the car, a bit John Please like, you know, going, bloody car, where's the bloody petrol? How can I get some petrol and stuff like that? So I was doing this sort of like stiff-legged walk, you know, jumping up and down, red in the face, swearing. 
English style. Kicking the tires. <laughs> Kicking the tires. And he, come, he comes out and he obviously could tell that my accent was English. And he was going, what is wrong, English lady? And he goes, so like, <laughs> I can't find out to get put petrol in my car. And I, I'm miles away from Pasadena. You know, so he must have thought I was absolutely rabid. <laughs> Eventually, we got the petrol in. And then I had to say to my husband, well, I remember phoning him, and it was about one in the morning by this time, going, he's going, where are you? And I'm going, Palm Springs, and I haven't even seen the bloody Joshua tree, you know, because it was dark. <laughs> yes, can't even see the sights. <laughs> so I went to Palm Springs, came back, having not seen any of the sights. <laughs> One of the really interesting things when you drive to Palm Springs is the wind generated, you know, the windmills, the giant, the, the, the blades are so big. I didn't see big. them. Yeah, you, you, they were <laughs> there, I promise. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> oh my gosh. I hate rental cars. Even in your own country where the cars are somewhat familiar, why aren't they standardized? I can't imagine trying to get gas in the middle of the night in a rental car when you're not even driving on the side of the road you're Absolutely. used to driving on it. Oh my gosh, you've got the precious cargo in the back and you're like, he's going to wake up and go, (laughs) we go bye-bye in the car all day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, so cute. Okay, you have on your interview form here that you were having a PMT moment in the middle of Tesco's car park. I'm assuming PMT is what we call PMS. Yeah, premenstrual tension. Oh God, yes. Premenstrual tension. Oh, I like it. That's better than premenstrual syndrome. It just adds the tension to it, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? I mean, it it gives you an inkling of what's going on. (laughs) Well, do you want this story or not? You might might need to have to put out a little uh, notice to people because I I might use a couple of English swearing words. Please do. (laughs) No, I I want everything that you'll give to me and I can can give my listeners a warning at the beginning if I need to. This (laughs) this will make all you females out there, when you have your PMS, it will make you feel so much better when you do something to disgrace yourself because (laughs) this is the disgrace of all disgraces. I'll let you know now. What happened was I woke up this day and I knew I was very PMT'd or PMS'd. You know, I woke up in what I call a nasty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was just having a bad mood and I thought, I don't want to take it out on my husband and son. I know I shall go and distract myself and I shall go to the shops and do some shopping. So I'd written my list, got in the car and I drove down the road. And as I drove down the road, there was another car in front of me and suddenly he pulled up without indicating, swerved and... I think he he was dropping off a passenger or something, but it was very bad because I could have gone into the back of him. But anyway, you know, I didn't let it bother me. I was thinking, no, no, I know I'm got I've got PMT at the moment, but I'm I'm going to try and rise above it. <laughs> so I drove off and driving down the road, I hit a roundabout. Now a roundabout is sort of like um, it's like a, a never ending junction in a sense that you go around and then you drive off. If that makes sense, yes. So I hit the roundabout and coming off the roundabout, I was going into Tesco's and this guy was right behind me, almost tailgating me. Same guy? Yeah, same guy. Mm. And maybe I did indicate a little bit too late. I don't know. I was PMT'd. What can I say? (laughs) He's lucky you did it at all. Yes, he's lucky. Especially after the example he gave you. Oh, that's that's what I thought. Anyway, so I I turned off into Tesco's and um, he hit the horn. You know, start like beep, 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 beep. So I just sort of kind of inclined my head and very naughtily, I flicked the Vs. (laughs) Did you you flipped him the bird? 
Is that yeah, a flick to the middle thing? Yeah, yeah. Flick what do you guys variable. call it? Flick, well, I call it flick the V's. I did a V sign. In other words, oh, sod off, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. So um, I went, I drove into Tesco's car park and I always try and park where you get the trolleys because I think, well, I can drop it off and get into the car. And that's not usually at the hub of things. Mm-hmm. Smart. And I was just tootling along with my trolley and I heard this car zoom up behind me mm. and he revved his engine and drove right next to me. <sighs> now, bearing in mind that my brother always said, if ever you're in trouble, and you think someone's going to create a problem for you, make sure you scream as loudly as possible so everybody hears and sees you because that will make mm-hmm. them feel uncomfortable and they're back off. So this guy had come right up next to me, drove next to me and wound down his window or electric window <sighs> and said, how dare you tell me to F off? And I said, well, actually, I didn't tell you to F off, but I'm going to now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I took in a huge gulp of air and I stood and I shouted at the top of my lungs three times. I said those words that you probably can't put. You can say it. I'll just bleep it. Let's All hear right. it. I said, cough, 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 like this. <laughs> and this guy sort of like held onto his steering wheel and kind of moved backwards as if to say, oh, my God, I've taken on a lunatic. <laughs> and... I sort of stood there looking at him as if to say, and is there anything else you'd like to say? At which point he went to sort of drive off. And as he drove off, I slapped the back of his car and said, and the horse you rode in on. (laughs) He drove off probably about 50 yards and then he stopped. He obviously thought about it and thought, this is dreadful. This woman's made an idiot of me. So I stood there behind you know sort of behind him with all these people in Tesco's car park looking at me and I kind of made myself big like you know rusty tufty yeah I did I, I puffed myself up and said come on then if you're thinking about it and you can see him sort of like <laughs> he was processing it and then all of a sudden he, he put his foot down and he drove off wheel spin and everything it was brilliant hightailed it at Tesco's car park <laughs> Well, I kind of tootled around with my little trolley and went into Tesco's and I was so shaken up. I came home with nothing that I had (laughs) on my shopping list. And I got into my husband and I burst into tears and I said, I couldn't disgrace myself in Tesco's. I've shamed the family name. People think I'm dreadful. (laughs) And he was like, oh my God, what what have you done? Thinking that she has been caught shoplifting or something. She's done something dreadful like that. So I sat down and I told him and he he roared with laughter and he said, do you know what? That man will never, ever do that to a woman again or probably never do it to anyone again. Yeah. (laughs) So you fixed that man. (laughs) Yeah. I I kind of thought, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Sorted it. (laughs) Look, lucky he didn't have a gun, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a good thing it didn't happen to you in Palm Springs. (laughs) Passionate. Yes, passionate, Uh as my husband would say. Oh, my gosh. That is so great. I love it. Yeah, I tend tend to collect mad stories like that, you see. Yes. Now you have to tell me about what happened on your flight back from South America. Oh, God, that one. Yes. Let me just give you the preamble. When I went out on the flight, I had terrible problems with my teeth. And apparently it turned out that my dentist put fillings into my fillings. She'd left little air pockets. So when the 
flight goes at a certain level, obviously I'd really feel the pain. Oh, no. When I was coming back probably a year and a half later, it was only supposed to be a three-week holiday, but that's another story. Mm. I decided before I took the flight that I was going to take some like sleeping tablets, heavy-duty sleeping tablets that would make me Mm -hmm. fall asleep on the flight, which was fine. I like that plan. Yeah, that was a good plan. We stopped off in Cuba, Gandhi's Newfoundland, Ireland, where they wouldn't let me off. Then they flew off to Russia and then from Russia back to London. And this was Aeroflot, so they weren't the best of flights. In fact, they were playing, oh, Kamina Barava, I think it is. Do you know that tune? Mm Mm-mm. That was playing as the flight was taking off, which was an indication to me that things weren't going to go well. (laughs) When we stopped off in Cuba, I then took the sleeping tablets to try and help me. And I had a Cuban guy sitting to the right-hand side of me and a Russian guy to the left. I didn't interact with them. I just wanted to sleep and try and get the whole thing over and done with. Well, the Cuban guy had designs on me. Oh, dear. And his hand kept trying to rest on my leg. What? Yeah. I said to him in Spanish, do that again and I will slap you. You know, and he was like, oh, terribly sorry. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't meant to happen. So um, I tried to sort of settle down and go back to sleep. And the hand came again and I hit him so hard I made his nose bleed. <laughs> so he was taken off by the Aeroflot air hostess and made to sit somewhere else. So that was fine. And I think the, the Russian guy had clocked what was going on, thinking, okay, we've, we've got a little fireball here, so to speak. <laughs> little feisty um, girl here. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to take any messing. Nobody messes me in that respect. So I think we were about to land in Russia. And as we were coming into land, I was very, very sleepy. I think I was in deep sleep. And all of a sudden, the pain kicked in into my teeth. Oh. And... I didn't open my eyes. Now, in, in the UK, it used to be that with the British rail compartments, you'd sit on your seat, but there would be a buffer either side of your head. It sort of like sit mm-hmm. out like a lip. And in my mind's eye, for some reason, I had it that I was sitting on a, a, in a seat like that. And because the pain was so bad with my teeth, I kind of turned to the left and bit into what I thought was this buffer thing. But I still hadn't opened my, my eyes until this buffer thing started to move, like try and shake me off. which just made me bite even harder. And then I thought, oh, but what's going on here? So I opened my eyes to see this, <laughs> this guy's face looking down. Well, all I could see was his hairy nostrils, really. He was sort of looking down at me. So I kind of unhinged myself very slowly and I couldn't think of what to say. What in the world do you say at that point? Well, I mean, the only word that I could think of in in Russian was nostrovia, which is what I said, which means cheers, you know. (laughs) And then because I was so mortified, I just kept looking straight ahead. I didn't want to look either way. It's like, this isn't happening. Did you break the skin? I don't know. Well, he had a thick coat on. <laughs> oh, good. But he probably got very bruised. Oh, gosh. My husband was very worried when I told him this one we were dating and we were going on our first holiday. I actually told him and my soon-to-be father-in-law the story. Um, my father-in-law speaks Russian and he was he was just decking himself. He thought it was hysterical. But Andy was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go on holiday with you. 
just in case you bite me or something. <laughs> we got to get her tested now. <laughs> Make sure there's a tetanus jab at the other end. That's right. <laughs> oh, you, you, you are giving me good ab workout making my nose run and everything else we aimed please you're not disappointing uh, okay tell me about that story about the english colloquialisms that didn't translate into american <gasps> what you said oh. well this is where back in the day when i was in my 20s i was hitching around europe and i ended up in spain and there's a navy base there or, or whatever an american base there and i ended up getting a job as a barmaid and one of the guys that came in to the bar sort of said do you need somewhere to stay? Because at the time I was living in a, a, it was called a campo. And I said, you know, if you've got room, I'll clean your flat, you know, in exchange. Mm. So I moved in with these two US Marines, which was um, <laughs> fun in, in mm-hmm. and of itself. Anyway, sure. they were lovely guys. Colourful. Mad, absolutely mad. And we, we had these sort of <laughs> difficulties with the language. And I think I'd only been there about a week and I didn't have an alarm clock. You know, I just, I didn't, I don't think I had a watch at all. But I didn't want to sleep in for some reason. I wanted to go off and do something. So uh, I turned around and said to them, oh, if you don't mind, could you knock me up at 9 a.m.? And they both, one of them literally spat out his coat. He was drinking coat. He spat it out. And it, like, looked at me aghast. And he's going, what? And I said, could you knock me up at 9 a.m.? And, then, and they, they sort of stood there with their mouths hanging open. And I said, have I said something wrong? They were just ending themselves, absolutely ending themselves. And then they explained what I'd said, and it was like, oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> no, not, not that. No, no. Awaken Don't me, please. That. But not in that way. <laughs> we used to have quite a lot of fun. I used to take the mickey out of them, telling them they um, spent their lives dressing up as trees and things like that. You know, Sometimes they used to hang me over the balcony, hold me by my by legs and hang me over the balcony for being belligerent. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> they were pretty that, that does sound like a lively crew. It was, they were very lively. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what happened with the fire alarm. Oh, the fire alarm, yes. I think I was doing some temporary secretarial work or something like that, and I decided I was going to go for a full-time job. And I managed to get an interview and went through the interview, did really, really well. Well, I thought I was doing well. You know, I was answering all the questions and seemed to be getting all the right reactions from them. And in the end, you know, finished the interview, shook their hands. They had said, go out of that door, but I was so excited. I went out the wrong door. But it was one of these fire exit doors that had an alarm attached to it. So I went out of the door and all of a sudden these alarms started going off. But I didn't, I just thought it wasn't really related to me. I Mm -hmm. thought it might have been something else going on in the building. So, you know, made my way out the door, out the exit, down the stairs and everything. And then I saw these people filing out. (laughs) And um, one of the guys indicated, he said, you went through the wrong door. I was mortified. Absolutely. In fact, I'm not very good with interviews. I, I once did another interview where I'd, I'd parked the car, but I couldn't find the entrance to the actual place. But I, I could see it over a fence. So I literally climbed over the fence <laughs> to get it. And they were all watching me. I won't be me. late. I won't be late to my interview. <laughs> I actually got the job, but I climbed over a fence to get it. They're like, she's resourceful. <laughs> she puts her nose to the grindstone. She gets it done. <laughs> Have high heels on and pencil skirt and everything all hooked They're like, well, up. now we have to hire her. <laughs> well, she she's really game. Job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's agile. 
taking my shoes off and chucking them over the fence. I I remember that. What have you been loving lately that you think the listeners might love too? On TV, I I don't know if you can get it over there, but I have been loving, it's a program over here called Motherland, which is just brilliant. Basically about school mums. They've obviously met at the school gate and all their kids are in the same year and and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but it just shows all the different characters and the dynamics. You know, there's the one who thinks she's better than everybody else, but is constantly making faux pas and really putting her foot (laughs) in it but doesn't recognise the fact that she's putting a footing it. <laughs> and then you've got the um, eco-dad who's a stay-at-home dad who's just wet behind the ears, a total wet lettuce, but he gets adopted by all the rest of the mums because they kind of feel <laughs> sorry for him. And then you've got the radical ones that just misbehave or behave badly, which I can identify with quite a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I don't know why. <laughs> That does sound like a fun show. Okay, it's I'm going to try to find show. it. Yeah, you'll, you'll find you'll want to binge watch it. Oh, I can't wait. Okay, what's your favorite podcast? Um, favorite podcast at the moment, apart from my own and yours, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been listening to You're Dead to Me. They're history stories, really. They're talking about oh. dead people, obviously. Right. Um, but it gives you the sort of like nitty gritty insider details. Nice. Kind of like what we were talking about with the more human interest angle. Yeah. Sometimes it has a quirky angle to it. Sometimes it's quite straightforward. But who was that I was listening to the other day on that one? Might have been Tutankhamun or something like that. But it's a very, very broad range. I'm looking now. There's an episode about the prohibition in the US, P.T. Barnum, Lord Byron, Sacagawea. Yeah, Sacagawea. She was really good with Lewis and Carroll, wasn't she? She she did the Lewis and Carroll's trail. Yeah, Why am I yeah. Making that up. Yeah. No, that's oh, it. Am I just Lewis impressing is... you with my my yeah, knowledge? You really are. You, <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't dish it back at all. <laughs> I want you to tell the listeners about your latest novel. Tell us all oh. about it. Well, my novel will probably disappoint now after all the fun we've had. <laughs> this novel is quite a serious novel for me. And all my previous writings have been folklore and folk tales. But this one's called The House Beside the Cherry Tree. Motherhood doesn't come easy. It's, it's looking at motherhood and mental health. And the main protagonist in this has a nervous breakdown. She, you've got a young couple who are 17. It's set in the late 1950s. It's their first sexual encounter. And unfortunately, she gets pregnant and they're forced into marriage. And, you know, she doesn't love this guy. He's besotted with her, but she doesn't love him. And that, that's the start of it, really. The, the marriage unravels as she has a nervous breakdown. But the, the bulk of the story, it's from three perspectives, the wife's perspective, the husband's perspective, and their child, and what happens. A lot of people talk about the person who's suffering the mental health, but you don't get any real discussion about what happens to the family, the dynamics of the family, yeah. and, and how it impacts on them. Yep. So I wanted to explore that. I mean, it's quite a, a dark story but it does have a resilient ending and it's going to be part of a trilogy. So I'm currently writing the next one. I cannot wait to read it. I relate. I mean, I I didn't get pregnant at 17 and marry someone I don't love, but I do suffer from significant clinical depression. And I have actually had, you know, quite a few conversations, especially with my younger daughter about my worry of how it would affect her and how it has affected her and sort of her memories of when I've been at my worst and, Mm -hmm. I, oh, I can't wait to read it. You know, it's something we have to look at. Yeah, it is something we have to look at. And, and if you look at the statistics, every single one of us will have a mental health 
episode at some stage in our life. But you tend to be more vulnerable and more fragile when, certainly when you're a mother as well, and because you're taking on so many new things. Yeah. But this, this particular story certainly highlights all the stigma and how people viewed mental health, certainly in the 60s, oh, and, yeah. and how it was treated. Well, it's probably a bit of a spoiler, but this lady ends up having ECT. I have known families that have gone through that. And to be really honest, it's a fictionalized account of my upbringing. Mm. Not all of it's a true story. I mm-hmm. did kill my brother off in it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, some of it is true. I took the pattern of my parents and decided that I would write on that because I think I'm not the only person whose family has suffered something like that. Absolutely. But it's also important that that it's marked, that it's acknowledged. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than sort of, you know, glossing it over and saying, oh, this is, it's just some of these things that you, what's it, in, two fingers up going, have to get on with. It's right. not something you have to get on with. It, it, it's something you do need help with and need to look at. We still don't have very many treatment modalities, but we have a no. lot more than was available to our parents' generation in the 50s, 60s, 70s. In my parents' generation, yeah, they, all they did was medicate or electrocute, really. Mm-hmm. And even institutionalize without much hope because there just wasn't as much available. And I hadn't even really thought about you know, living without an antidepressant, which for me would have been hard because I am on a medication now. But I always joke that, oh, I wouldn't have been able to live in the pioneer days because I need Advil for headaches. But I mean, that's nothing compared to having, you know, no treatment for depression. Even um, as back as 1918, this is, you know, going back to the suffragettes, women were just chattels here in the UK. I'm not quite sure how the situation was for you in the, in the States. And women were just chattels and they could be taken away and mm. incarcerated, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. for having PMT. Uh, Imagine menopause. I, you know, I, I'm I'm <sighs> in that stage now. You know, when you're yeah. menopausal or PMT, you could get mm-hmm. locked up because you weren't behaving in the appropriate manner that was deemed by men who didn't understand right. these conditions. Yes. And women, the women didn't understand it either because nobody was looking into it. Nobody was talking about it. I have a girlfriend who her mother literally thought she had just gone crazy. And when she finally figured out that some of her symptoms were because of menopause, she was so relieved. Yeah. At least we have something to do to treat it. I I don't know where I would be, honestly, without my hormone. Because what happened to me is I struggled with depression off and on my entire adult life. But I always managed to handle it myself until I started going through menopause. And then it was like the hormones just sent me right over the edge. Absolutely. Yeah. And oh, I just can't imagine living with that without help. I was having a rough day yesterday and I was thinking, how can I describe this? Because my husband's never suffered from depression. And what I was feeling like yesterday was, you know, that when you have that sinking feeling, like you have a sudden realization that you've forgotten something or you've done something wrong or you've hurt someone. Mm -hmm. It's like having that sinking feeling all day long, but it's nonspecific and it never goes away. And that's one way depression can feel. That is just one way that it feels for me. On different days, it feels differently. It's just one permutation. Right, exactly. I'm on HRT at the moment, or I'm sorry, I was on HRT. I've come off because I'd been on it for about five years and I went to a herbalist. So I'm trying to deal with it through Mm. herbs. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely convinced that it's really working for me. I've been been off it since October because I had to go and I had to have surgery. I had knee replacement. Oh boy. Which wasn't so great. That's a rough one. But the time when I'd come off HRT before, which was probably about three years previous, 
again, I was having minor surgery, but I was told that I had to come off because I was having an anesthetic. I was told to come off for two weeks and I was suicidal, absolutely oh. suicidal. I could have jumped in front of a bus. And yet, if you'd asked me what it was that was bothering me, I couldn't have told you. Yes. But I know it was my hormones. I know it was mm-hmm. my hormones. Absolutely. But it was scary. Really, really that scary. Is, that's terrifying. Like, yeah. What and, you know, in this on? country, yeah. we don't have patients come off of HRT for surgery. Maybe if they had a predisposition for a clotting disorder or something. I think it was to do with blood pressure. Yeah, interesting, huh? I've been on it for seven or eight years, and I am not planning on going off of it anytime soon. I may cut it in half after a couple more years, but gosh, I don't feel myself when I'm off of it at all. I'm thinking about going back on. Yeah. <laughs> um, largely because at least that way I, I'm having sort of breakthrough flushes, and yeah, my mm-hmm. my mood swings go up and down mm. as well. Well, if you do, go back on very gradually. The reason that they stopped the women's initiative study here when they were looking to see if cardiovascular risk would go down on hormones, they actually stopped the study early because what they were doing was they were restarting hormones on women who hadn't had any for you know a decade and they were having events. And what they realized was that the hormones did prevent cardiovascular events if you were on them, but starting them back also puts you at risk for cardiovascular events. So you just want to, oh, you just wow. want to tape taper on really gradually. Right. Okay. Instead of I'll restarting. Bang at the, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's for what it's worth. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, <laughs> tell my listeners all the places where they can find you online. They can find me on Amazon. That's, that's basically where it's under Scaramouche Press, but it's called The House Beside the Cherry Tree. Uh, Motherhood Doesn't Come Easy. And please, 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 if you do read it, please leave a review. Um, yes, it's so important. Oh, really important. You know, I've, I've got yeah. sort of family members who sort of said, oh, I've read your book. And it's sort of like, could you leave a review? Oh, no, I don't know the tech. Can't do that. So it's like, oh, I'll come <laughs> okay. over and walk you through it. <laughs> it's like, I have to yeah. review it. It's it just the algorithms require it. And then your website is awaywithstories.co.uk. Yeah. And then your Twitter handle at Lee, L-E-A, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, 5783. That's it. Yeah. Can I also give a shout out? Mary, Susan, and I do something called the Book Whisperers. And it's a free online writing group. So if anybody's interested in developing their creative writing, we don't charge you anything. All our materials are for free and we're a supportive community. We generated it specifically for lockdown. But, you know, we're here if people want to just get into writing. And like I say, it's online as well. So we've got a book whisperers group. So it's thebookwhisperers.com. Okay, Um, I'll I'll definitely link to that too. I think if you are thinking about writing a book or if anybody has ever told you, oh, you should write a book, then why not look into it? It's always something you could do as a creative project on the side. And sometimes all you need to bring the zing back to your life or the passion back to your life is a creative outlet. And I think writing is always available to us, but it is nice to have support and to maybe have a structure and have some people who have experience sort of guiding us through it. So that's right. Yeah, Yeah, we've got a very supportive community. So um, please don't be afraid to come and join us. Or just have a check in. We're very bonkers, though. Madness included. I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You are so much fun. I have had a blast interviewing you. This might have to be two episodes. I can't cut any of it out. It was all golden. (laughs) Fantastic. 
Oh my gosh, you guys. I didn't want that conversation to end. Lee was so much fun. We could have yucked it up all day. Thank you so much for listening to the Fancy Free Podcast today. Make sure to go to the show notes at fancyfreepodcast.com slash episode 110 to find all the links that we discussed in today's episode. If you want more laughter, sharing, and connection, why not join the Fancy Free Facebook group? It's our private little slice of the internet, and we have some fun conversations there. This week, the question of the week is, if you could have a celebrity be your best friend, who would you choose? I love listener stories. If you have a story to tell, email me at notfancy at fancyfreepodcast.com or go to fancyfreepodcast.com and click the red button and record a voice memo for me right there on my website. I did just get some more leggings in stock for Shelfie Shop. I'm still waiting for the tunic, the t-shirt, and the maxi dress and the short dress. Those should be coming so soon. And as soon as I get them, you guys will be the first to know. I think they're going to sell out really fast. So if you're interested in one, you might want to go to shelfieshop.com. That's S-H-E-L-F-I-E-S-H-O-P-P-E.com. And Find the size and color that you're interested in and click the back in stock email alert so that you get an alert as soon as they go back in stock. Have a wonderful week and remember, no one is as fancy as they look.